Looking for a Bible to encourage the girl in your life? The NIV Kingdom Girls Bible is a beautiful new Bible that will inspire girls ages 8 to 12. It contains 400 features and colorful illustrations and highlights famous and sometimes infamous women of the Bible. Special notes will encourage girls to apply Bible passages to their lives through prayer, art, and activities. Go to NIVKingdomGirlsBible.com for a free sample and to learn more about this amazing Bible. Visit NIVKingdomGirlsBible.com today. This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Flourish at Home Show. Your host, Mary Jo Tate, is an international book editor, the homeschooling mom of four boys, and the author of Flourish, Balance for Homeschool Moms. Mary Jo loves to help moms find peace, order, and balance by sharing practical tips, inspiration, and encouragement. Visit her website at flourishathome.com. And now, here's your host, Mary Jo Tate. Moms are sometimes so busy training our children that we can forget to examine our own hearts. Do you ever struggle with guilt or fear? Are you paralyzed by perfectionism? Are you ever tempted to complain about your own life or to envy someone else's? Today on the Flourish at Home show, we'll be talking about how we can make a choice every day to honor God with our thoughts, attitudes, and emotions, as well as our actions. You might want to put on your steel-toed boots for this episode because I just may step on your toes. I'm certainly stepping on my own toes. But over the years, I've discovered that I learn the most from people who challenge me and make me ask myself hard questions that I'd rather not face. Ask God to help you be honest with yourself as you seek to identify attitudes and habits that you may need to change. And here's a word of encouragement from Elizabeth Elliott's book, A Lamp Unto My Feet. Speak that word to me today, dear Lord, peace. Let your calm spirit through the many potentially rough minutes of this day and every task say to my soul, be still. Even Ask God to help you be honest with yourself. Ask God to help you be honest with yourself as you seek to identify attitudes and habits you may need to change. Guilt is a word that comes up often in my surveys of homeschool moms. In fact, if you do a Google search for mommy guilt, you'll get over 5 million results. We moms worry that we're shortchanging our kids somehow, that our house isn't clean enough, that our meals aren't nutritious enough, in fact, that our entire life isn't Pinterest worthy, and we feel guilty about all of it. So what's the solution? First, it's important to distinguish between true guilt and false guilt. True guilt is when you really have done something wrong, when you're sinning, and the solution to that is you need to confess and repent and turn away from it. But very often what we're dealing with is false guilt, which is usually triggered by comparisons and unrealistic expectations. A very common source of false guilt for moms is taking care of yourself. If you watch just a few minutes of television or look at an average magazine at the grocery checkout line, you'll find lots of evidence of people who are overindulging, being lazy, being selfish, and taking care of number one. All of that makes it really easy to swing too far to the other extreme and become paranoid about taking care of yourself. 
I'll bet you've encountered at least one book, article, blog post, or speaker claiming that it's unreasonable or even sinful for moms to need rest or me time. But there's really no need to feel guilty if you're taking care of yourself wisely. Motherhood involves service and sacrifice, not martyrdom. Taking care of yourself is simply necessary for you to be able to take care of your family. Take the flight attendant's advice. Put on your own oxygen mask so you can help others. Another solution to dealing with guilt is to have realistic expectations. We'll be talking about some specific strategies for this later on, but here are a couple of tips. If you plan your to-do list in the categories of personal life, family life, and business, and then you evaluate your list honestly, you can see and get a pretty good idea if you're doing the right things. Above all, avoid comparison. Don't worry so much about what your friends and neighbors are doing. Look at what God has called you to do and do what is the right thing for your family and your situation. Another struggle for many moms is fear. It can be scary to do something new or different. Homeschooling is pretty scary for a lot of us. It's still pretty countercultural, even though it's becoming more and more common. I remember a time when I let an irrational fear hold me back, and I really regret it. In 1991, I was a graduate student, and I had the wonderful privilege of helping uh, my professor edit The Great Gatsby for Cambridge University Press. There was a huge launch party at the classic Scribner bookstore in New York City. I was invited, and I didn't go. My official excuse was that I was pregnant, which was true, and I was very sick, but that wasn't the real reason. The main reason that I was too ashamed to admit was that I was terrified of the big city. Specifically, I didn't know how to hail a cab, and I let that make me miss such a wonderful occasion. Well, that story has a happy ending, but it took 18 years because in 2009, I flew to Manhattan for the Book Expo America, which is the publishing industry trade show, and I was amazed to find the city invigorating and not terrifying. Everybody I met was really friendly and helpful, including the cab drivers. So what are the solutions to being afraid? The most important thing is to trust in God. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I urge you not to let your fears cause regret. Go ahead and try the things that make you a little uncomfortable or even very uncomfortable. If you're thinking about something that makes you afraid, ask yourself, what's the worst thing that could happen? If the worst thing that could happen is that you won't accomplish what you set out to do, go ahead and give it a try. Because if it doesn't work, you're no worse off than you were when you didn't try. But if you do succeed, you'll be better off. Another habit we may need to change is perfectionism. Now, I make my living as a book editor, and it's wildly ironic for me to consider perfectionism a problem. But it is true. Because perfectionism is the mother of procrastination. One thing that I have learned about myself is that I tend to postpone important or complicated tasks and put them off until I have time to give them the attention I think they deserve. But sometimes I wait so long that it's embarrassing to do them at all. Now, ironically, I spoke about this topic just about a week ago, and a couple of days after that, a friend wrote to me to ask if the package she had sent me had been delivered yet. It had. This sweet, precious friend had gone to Giverny, France, and she had sent me a beautiful Monet print because she knew how much I would love to go there myself. 
The package had arrived a few days before, but I hadn't acknowledged it because I wanted to take time to express my gratitude eloquently rather than just dashing off a quick note. How much better it would have been if I had just gone ahead and sent her my thanks, even in a simple way. One homeschool mom told me I would like to be more willing and less afraid to make mistakes. And I really encourage you not to let fear of mistakes keep you from trying. There will never be a perfect time for anything that you want to undertake, so don't wait for it. And it's just not possible to achieve perfection, so we need to aim for excellence instead. For example, if you take art lessons, you're certainly going to draw a lot of crooked lines and paint a lot of disappointing messes before you create something beautiful. If you're taking piano lessons, you'll hit a lot of discordant notes before you can play Rachmaninoff. But if you learn from your mistakes and keep practicing, you'll achieve excellence over the course of time. Don't allow perfectionism to paralyze you. Here's a few examples. Don't wait until your house is spotless to invite friends over for dinner. Don't bother ironing your little boy's clothes. Don't search so long for one perfect math curriculum that you don't start math until three months into the school year. Learn to accept when good enough is good enough. Another thing we need to learn how to deal with is whining, complaining, and negativity. When I was a first-time mom, I was so overwhelmed that I constantly focused on the negative. Whenever we had a rough day, I was really discouraged because I thought that's how things were always going to be. On the other hand, when we had a really good day, I thought it was an aberration and it would never happen again. How much better things would have been for me if I had focused on the positive and had a better attitude? Another example of whining and complaining in my own life was really ironic because it happened during a week I was teaching about attitudes in an online course that I was teaching. My youngest son, Thomas, who was seven at the time, was begging me for more phonics lessons. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Your kid is begging for phonics? But it was late one Wednesday night. We had already done phonics and plenty of other things that morning. We'd had a long day. I'd done a lot of work. We'd been to church that night, and I was ready to quit for the night. So instead of just simply telling Thomas, we don't have time to do that tonight, but I'll be glad to work with you again in the morning, I started whining and complaining about it. So not only did I not teach him phonics, but I also taught him a bad example. Complaining drains your energy and keeps you from doing the things God has called you to do. And being grumpy or negative or complaining can really rub off on others around you, just like cheerfulness does. So you need to make a choice. Elizabeth Elliot writes, Feelings like thoughts must be brought into captivity. No one whose first concern is feeling good can be a disciple. One way to bring your feelings and thoughts into captivity is to find peace in the space between the ideal and reality. You have to learn to face the circumstances of your life and find a way to live out your priorities anyway. Now, just as a bad attitude and whininess can rub off on others, so can cheerfulness. I love this quote from Martha Washington. She said, I am still determined to be cheerful and happy in whatever situation I may be. For I have also learned from experience that the greater part of our happiness or misery depends upon our dispositions and not upon our circumstances. That's a great reminder. Another way to stop a negative attitude is to stop saying, I can't do this, but instead ask, how can I do this? This changes you from the negative attitude of an inability to a positive question that opens your mind to the possibilities. 
Now, remember, your attitude, positive or negative, is an example for your children, and it sets the tone for the entire household, just as we've already seen. You know the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Edith Schaefer, who's one of my favorite writers, expresses this in terms of creating an environment for the people around us. Here's what she writes. Our conversations, attitudes, behavior, response or lack of response, hardness or compassion, our love or selfishness, joy or dullness, our demonstrated trust and faith or our continual despondency, our concern for others or our self-pity, all these things make a difference to the people who have to live in our environment. Enthusiasm and excitement infect other people. Expectancy that God can intervene and do something in this moment of history and doing something practical to show that expectancy in prayer affects the attitudes other people are going to have to their troubles. And that's the end of the quote from Edith Schaefer. Another attitude we need to change is resentment. While whining focuses on what you dislike about your own life, resentment focuses on what you envy in someone else's life. Keep those steel-toed boots on and examine your heart honestly while you listen to these questions. Have you ever envied another mom? Have you resented something that she has that you lack, such as a supportive husband, lavish vacations, more children, or maybe fewer children, housekeeping help, an ample book budget, free time, music lessons for her children, beautiful clothes, a bigger house, a nicer neighborhood, good health, boundless energy, or help for her extended family? So often we really don't know about other people's struggles. The apparently abundant life of your local supermom may hide challenges you can't even imagine. She really may need your compassion, not your envy. The cure for resentment is contentment. We must rejoice in the good things that others have and be grateful for what we have. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 6, 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. I love what J.I. Packer says, Contentment is essentially a matter of accepting from God's hand what he sends because we know that he is good and therefore it is good. It probably doesn't surprise you to learn that homeschool moms can be a fairly judgmental lot, so we need to think about how to avoid self-righteousness. It can be tempting sometimes to look down on other families who send their children away from home to be educated. Frankly, this attitude is apparent in many of our conversations, blog posts, Facebook statuses, and more. Sometimes we judge within our homeschooling circles even more viciously. Have you ever gotten into a debate about educational philosophy, methods, or curriculum? Or how about birthing, breastfeeding, discipline, cooking, how to dress, or what's appropriate entertainment? The thing is, the more strongly committed you are to something, the more enthusiastic you naturally are to urge other people to do the same thing so they can enjoy the same benefits. With the right attitude, an attitude of humility and helpfulness, sharing information and encouraging people to explore new options can be a good thing. However, being judgmental and laying a burden of guilt on those who have made different decisions for their families only hurts them and turns them away. It's a delicate balance, but deep inside, you know your own attitude and motivations. The reverse is also true. It's easy to be hypersensitive and assume that others are judging you because you're doing something different than they are. Has a public school mom ever quickly explained her educational choice the very minute you mention that you homeschool? Right or wrong, she may assume that you are judging her just because your different choice makes her uncomfortable. 
If you're an unschooler, maybe you automatically go on the defensive in any conversation with a classical homeschooler, or vice versa. Or what about the times when a store clerk asks your kids, why aren't you in school today? Are you tempted to be snarky or defensive? Or do you just give a polite, common-sense answer like my kids always do? They just say, we're homeschooled. I'm surprised that very often they get a very positive response, and I could have been a very bad witness if I had let my snarkiness break through. When someone asks why you homeschool, don't automatically assume that they're criticizing you. Before you respond, see if you can discern whether they're hostile, simply curious, genuinely concerned for your family's well-being, or maybe even testing the waters to consider homeschooling in their own family. It's usually better not to engage in a debate with those who are truly hostile, but instead just to give a simple, brief answer, something along the lines of, this is what I believe is best for my family, and just leave it at that. On the other hand, if someone seems genuinely interested, you might want to go into a bit more detail than you would with someone who's merely looking to pick a fight. Dealing with the simply curious falls somewhere in the middle. The genuinely concerned, such as family members or maybe your pastor, deserve a thoughtful reply. Be gracious and give others the benefit of the doubt. Don't jump to conclusions and don't pound people on the head with your own choices. So here are a few practical tips for dealing with the negative attitudes and emotions and thoughts in your own life. One way to avoid having a bad attitude is to get a good handle on taking care of all your responsibilities. Don't try to do everything at once. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says. If we really have too much to do, there are some items on the agenda that God did not put there. Let us submit the list to him and ask him to indicate which items we must delete. There is always time to do the will of God. If we are too busy to do that, we are too busy. Isn't that a great reminder? I think we could all usefully post that in our kitchen or somewhere around the house where we could read it often. Another thing that helps is to eliminate, delegate, or outsource some of the things that you can't manage on your own. And then you'll have time to take care of yourself and you won't be overwhelmed and have a bad attitude. It's also important to have a good support network and resources that you can depend on because it's really hard to go it alone. Make sure that you have friends that you can count on, a homeschool support group or maybe a co-op with like-minded friends. You can find some support online, but be really careful about participating in groups such as maybe a Facebook group. Is it mostly helpful or are the people mostly complaining? Maybe you can help a complaining group, but if you're looking for encouragement, you're going to want to look for a more upbeat group of people. You can also get support by attending conferences and reading good books about homeschooling and homemaking and just raising your children and being a family together. Just remember that no matter how much you practice these strategies, no matter how much balance you think you've achieved, you're always going to be tempted to give in to the feeling of being overwhelmed. You just have to deal with it the best that you can, and ultimately remember that God is in control. Psalm 61 verses 1 through 2 reminds us, Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Thanks for tuning in to the Flourish at Home show. For more encouragement, visit Mary Jo at flourishathome.com. The Flourish at Home show is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.